So I want to begin with a, a question this evening. And the question is this. How do you respond to the trials of life? So when tough times come knocking on your door, or when you find yourself between a rock and a hard place, how do you respond? And more specifically, how do you respond as a child of God? It goes without saying, this past year has been one big trial, not just for us individually and as as church families, but as a nation and as a world. How has being a Christian shaped and informed the way you've responded to the events of lockdown and the COVID pandemic? In James chapter 1, James informs his original readers how they ought to respond to the when the tough times come knocking, to the trials of life. And my plan for this evening is, is in many ways just to be a bit devotional and we'll look at um, some of the verses between uh, verse 1 and 12 together. So if you've got your Bible there, just glance down at verse 1. As you know, it's customary for any uh, writer of a, a New Testament letter to begin with an introduction to introduce who he is. And so the first question that comes to mind is, which James wrote this letter? Because we read about four different Jameses in the New Testament. Which one's this? This is James, the younger brother of Jesus, the half-brother Jesus. And he, and he begins by saying, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what's fascinating about his opening is that he doesn't state his biological connection to Jesus. He he doesn't state that he's a a blood relative of Jesus. Instead, he states his spiritual connection to God and to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is a servant. For James, what mattered most wasn't the blood in his veins, but the blood that was shed on the cross so that he could be adopted as a son of God. For James, being a half-brother of Jesus was not nearly as important as having Jesus as his saviour. The second thing that we read in this opening is he tells us who he's writing to, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. 12 tribes, that's Old Testament or New Testament speak for God's Old Testament people that killed. Uh, And what's interesting here is he says God's people, these Jews have now become Christians, are scattered. And he says they're scattered among the nations. Now we know that James was a pastor in Jerusalem. And so because of persecution, God's people who were once his flock have dispersed throughout the Roman. They're clearly not living in Israel. Now we don't know which persecution this was. It may have been the persecution of Acts chapter 5 and 6 and 7 where we had Stephen uh, being martyred or the persecution perhaps in Acts chapter 11 and 12 under King Agrippa, Herod Agrippa. Regardless, what we know is that the recipients of this letter were most likely people who had been members in James's congregation in Jerusalem but they've had to flee from their homes. They've found themselves in 
tough times. Now, the last word in verse 1 is interesting because in most New Testament letters, the the writer of like Paul, for example, will introduce himself, state who his recipients are, and then he'll either give a thanksgiving prayer or he'll remind them of the relationship they have. But here James just gives one word, greetings. He doesn't warm up his readers. He cuts to the chase. Pastor James wants to speak to them about what they're going through. Trials. Now, just imagine for me with a moment, you were one of those who'd once been a member in the Jerusalem City Presbyterian congregation. And just imagine for a moment that you'd had to flee from your home because of persecution. You've not just run a, a few miles, you've had to run away hundreds of miles. You found yourself in a new country, different culture. In terms of setting up life, you, you perhaps don't have the means to, to, to buy a nice home, but you have to just accept and apply for social housing and, and be given whatever there is. Imagine having not had the chance to say goodbye to your pastor or your, your friends, your fellow members, your former work colleagues. And then imagine one day that the royal mail of whatever nation you're living in drop a letter through your door. And, and you pick it up and you recognize the writing on the letter. It's from your beloved pastor, James. And with great anticipation and expectation, you rip it open. And you think to yourself, well, here I am in these difficult circumstances. And now Pastor James is writing to to comfort me. He remembers me. He's not forgotten me. And you read James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Yeah, James has not forgotten. Greetings. And then you read these words. Consider it. Pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. You can imagine if you were reading that, your eyes might pop out your head and your jaw might drop. What kind of pastoral advice is this when you're going through tough times? Consider it pure joy. They're fearful, they're anxious, they're worried. They've perhaps lost all of their possessions, lost a family member. They find themselves between a rock and a hard place. And James says, consider it pure joy. Is James here saying, just turn that frown upside down? Now, we might have expected James to to give them comfort and consolation, but instead he begins by challenging them. Challenging them to rethink their difficulties. Challenging them to rethink how they respond to the trials that they're facing. And tonight, that's what I want God's word to do for us, to challenge us as we find ourselves in this trial. Now, when you think of joy and trial, Probably you think of joy when we come out of a trial, when it's over and it's ended. So I, I, I 
not really been following the, the developments south of the border, but last Friday was known as Freedom Friday in Scotland because finally the Scottish government lifted the travel restrictions and there were text messages, phone calls from all of my friends. Now let's get together in Glasgow, let's meet in the park, let's go here, let's go there. It was just a day of joy of seeing friends that I hadn't seen for a good few months. And maybe that was the same when the beer gardens opened south of the border. That was for sure the BBC headlines, which I saw on television. But but here's the thing. We don't often associate joy with our experience as we face trials or our, as we're in trials. And notice that James said, he doesn't say if you face trials, he says whenever you face trials. Because one of the realities of all people is as we go through life in this world, we will face trials. In fact, all of us are either in a trial, going into a trial, or coming out of a trial. Right now, a global nation, we're all in a trial. But personally, some of us may have just come out of a trial a personal trial, or some of us are just about to go into one, or some of us tonight are in one right now. And James also says we these trials, they're of many different kinds, big, small, emotional, spiritual, mental, physical. But our response to these trials as those who have been transformed by Jesus is to respond with joy. Now, now let's be clear. Let's not misunderstand what James is saying here. He's not telling us so much how to feel as opposed to how we should think. Let me say that again. It's not about how we should feel as opposed to how we should think. James wants us to adopt a, a certain mindset. So when we, we, we're going through a trial where there's been great loss and there's been great pain and there's been great suffering, James isn't saying just slap a smile on your face. James isn't saying deny what's going on. James, when he says here, he says consider it. Or if you're using another translation, it might say count it all joy. And the interesting thing about the word is it's it's actually a, a financial word, an accounting word. It's evaluate your situation, think about it, and you'll see that it is pure joy. I don't know if you've evaluated this trial of lockdown in light of God's word. I don't know if you've given it much thought. But what God's word reveals to us, God uses the trials of life always for his own good purposes. So, so, so see what James goes on and says, he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know. Now, now that's key. You know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You and I, as children of God, we know something. We know that it's a testimony of Scripture from beginning to end that God uses trials 
for his good purposes. So, so remember who's receiving this letter. There are a group of Jews who've converted to Christianity, so Jewish Christians, first book in the Bible, Sunday school stories or Sabbath school stories that they would have grown up with would be stories like Joseph, sold into slavery by his brothers, wrongly accused by Potiphar's wife, that long stretch in jail, and then when he's raised to the second most powerful man in Egypt, He's able to save his brothers and his nation, and he's able to say to his brothers, what you meant for evil, God used for good. Think of the greatest trial to ever take place, or the greatest evil to ever take place in the history of the universe. The execution of the Son of God. That which was evil, God has used to bring the greatest good. Now the question is, where did James get this mindset? How did James reason like this? Well, of course, he's a younger brother of Jesus. So let's think about what Jesus said, right? Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus speaking. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. No doubt something similar to what the Jewish Christians were going through at this time. And Jesus says, rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. But Jesus wasn't the only one to say this sort of thing. Paul, Romans 5. We rejoice in our sufferings because we know that our suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. In Romans 8, Paul said, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to with the glory that is to be revealed. In 2 Corinthians 4, Paul also said, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And I could stop with Paul, but Peter said the same. Dear friends, First Peter 4, do not be surprised at this fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though suffering something strange were happening to you, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests in you. Now, now, you ought to know this. I ought to know this. God has always good purposes for his people in the trials of life. May not feel like it. May not even look like it. But, but that's what Paul even said, right? And, and Jesus touched on it. It's that Outwardly, we look in the mirror, we're wasting away. We're struggling. 
But inwardly, where we don't see, we're being renewed day by day. Jesus says, blessed are you when you're insulted, persecuted, for great is your reward in heaven. So, so in heaven, there is reward waiting for you as you persevere through trial. Paul says we don't fix our eyes on what is seen, because what is seen is just temporary, but we fix our eyes on what is unseen. So, so again and again, we, we have this reality that in God's good purposes, often we don't see them, but God is working them out. In fact, verse 3 says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Testing there is the idea of taking a piece of metal or gold and putting it through a fiery furnace to try and burn off all the impurities. You know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. When we go through trials, our faith is tested to to prove its genuineness, its, its authenticity, so that we might persevere. And as Paul says in Romans 5, it's in perseverance that leads to character, and character leads to, to hope. God has good purposes for us in trials. It is to shape and mold our character. It's like training for the child of God. Not building up physical endurance, but actually building up for a spiritual endurance. In the wisdom of God, we don't live life on easy street. No, we, we face hardship. We are tested so that we can be developed. You might not be aware of it, but this year, last year has been testing your spiritual muscles, your spiritual muscle of faith. Now, now, now notice what he says here, right? Because you know that the testing of your faith produced it. Your faith develops perseverance. Verse 4, perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. The end goal of trials is that we may become whole people in Christ. Is to, to shape us and mold us. And this is what James is saying to his readers and to us this evening, is how we ought to think about them. Now, now if I can just well for a minute on that word perseverance. This isn't perseverance that's like grinning, bear it, British, stiff upper lip. This perseverance is perseverance with vibrant hope. Because we know the end. We know we come through trial, we receive the hope of glory that far outweighs any temporary passing trial. So so this isn't perseverance that's tied to a tenacious spirit. This is perseverance that's tied to life in the Holy Spirit. And so when he says persevere here, it's, it's, it's the idea of living in the Holy Spirit and learning the lessons of the day. Now, I don't know about you, but one of the things when tough times happen in my life, I want to bail out. I want, I want to press, egg, I want to find the exit door. So there's a funny story told. You've probably heard it, and I'm going to tell you it for a millionth time, but it's the story of the pilot the priest, the lawyer, the doctor, and the little boy who were all in a plane. The plane was up in the sky, and the pilot was flying it, and all was going well, and then the engines cut out. And so the pilot came out over the tunnel and said, I'm really sorry, this plane is about to go down. The problem is there's only four parachutes on board. And so the pilot 
said, I'm taking one of them. And he took it and he jumped out the door. And then the doctor stopped and he said, I saved people's lives. I'm really important. And he grabbed one of the parachutes and he jumped out the door. And so left the lawyer, the little boy, the priest. There was only two life jackets left. The lawyer stood up and said, I'm the smartest man in this plane. I need to live. And so he picked, he picked up a parachute and he jumped out the plane. Well, the priest looked at the little boy and said, listen, son, I've lived a good life and a long life. I'll be okay. And the little boy looked up at the priest and said, father, you see that man who just said he was the smartest man in the plane? He just picked up my school bag and jumped out the door. Now, that funny story, I actually can have a serious point. You and I sometimes in the midst of trials, we panic, we look to our own wisdom, and we try and bail out. But actually in verse 4, depending on what translation you've got, it may actually start by saying, let perseverance or allow perseverance to finish its work. It's a command. It's an imperative, let alone. God's people are to allow God's trials to accomplish their good purposes in our life. One of the key lessons of undergoing a trial is learning to submit to it as a child of God because we know that it will accomplish much good. We're not to bail out. We're to to live in it and discover God filling up the gaps in our life, God exercising the muscles of our faith. So I wonder, as we've been persevering under this trial of law, are you aware that God is shaping and molding your character? He's making you more mature so that you won't lack anything? You might not see it, but by faith you ought to believe it. He is God does what he says. Now, time doesn't permit us to, to, to look at the, all the verses, but let me just make one comment in verse 5. In the midst of a trial, you know what we need? Wisdom. I heard a preacher, he was preaching in our, for us this morning in our church, and he said that wisdom, he said, wisdom is being skilled at living life in a fallen world. That was a great definition. Wisdom is being skilled at living life in a fallen world. In this past year, have you stopped to ask God for wisdom? Has this trial at any time forced you to your knees to say, God, I'm not good at living life in this fallen world. I often don't know how to respond to the challenges of life. Notice verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. As children of God, we have such confidence that by faith in prayer, as we ask God for wisdom, for the know-how how to live life, he will grant us it. Because not only does he have good purposes in trials, he is a generous God in trials to his people. Now let me try and wrap this up. See if you look down at verse 12. That's the sort of uh, verse that ends this little section on trials. And he says there, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he stood the test, 
he'll receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. James, so much like his big brother Jesus, understands that when you go through a trial, when you stand the test, there's a great reward. It's like he's just quoting Jesus. Now, the ultimate blessed man is Jesus, who persevered under trial and who has stood the test, because the first Adam came, and in the garden, when tempted by Satan, succumbed. Jesus, the second Adam, in the wilderness, 40 days, tempted by Satan, but never succumbed. In his life, not one moment did he give in to temptation. On the cross, facing, undergoing great uh, beating, mocking, scoffing, he could have called down an army of angels. He did not. He endured it all. To the point he could say, it is finished. He did this for you and he did this for me. Blessed is he who was raised on the third day, who has ascended to heaven and is at the right hand, who has received the most exalted place. But, but, but this verse is not, what this verse is saying is, is saying, yeah, Jesus is the blessed man, but Actually, you and me are the blessed men and women when we persevere under trial because when we have stood the test, we will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Now, this is the, this, this verse just showcases, shows forth the amazing grace of God. As we come through the trials of life, the Lord sees fit to reward us with the crown of life. Now, now I'm not going to bother trying to unpack the, infathom- the, the unfathomable because that, that in many ways speaks to, to something that our minds can't even begin to imagine or understand. But I was thinking about this uh, verse last week on Saturday when it was Prince Philip funeral, Duke of Edinburgh, and, and I'm sure some of you saw it in the news or some of you watched it. And there was that moment in the funeral where the, was it the royal garter that the king of arms got up and he read out the 15 earthly honours of Prince Philip? Like it was some list. There were, there were titles that I didn't even know that existed. So he's like the most, um, let me just see if I can get it up. Uh, he was the, the knight of the most ancient and most noble order of the thistle, member of the order of merit, knight Grand Cross of the Royal Victorian Order, so on and so forth, High Admirable. And the, the final title final title was the most significant, just one word, husband. And and that, that's a really significant title for him and earthly honour for him because he is he was husband to Her Majesty the Queen of Great Britain and the Commonwealth. And, I, and as I heard those titles been read, there was a little part of me that was a little envious and jealous. Like, what a, what a life, what, what honours. And then I reflected on who I am. Son of the Most High God. Earthly titles, they don't matter. At the last, crown of life, From the hand, the one who lived, died, and was raised for me. Not for a passing life of 90 plus years, but for the ages to come. 
you and I, brother and sister in Christ, we are sons and daughters of the Most High God. And, and the most astonishing, astounding thing is we can consider it pure joy when we go through trials of many kinds because Jesus will crown us at the last. Now, I don't know what's going to happen in glory, but this I suspect. You and I will lay down our crowns at his feet and we'll say, crown him with many crowns because he is worthy, because he is the one who's brought us through all of the trials of life. And he's the reason why we can consider it pure joy because in him we are blessed. Let's pray. Loving Lord Jesus, we thank you and praise you this evening. Thank you for challenging us to to think in accordance with your word about that which we experience in life. We thank you that from beginning to end we see that through the tough times of life you are working out your purposes. And Lord, so often we live by sight. We, We look at what is in front of us but we fail to live by faith and see what is unseen and consider that which your word informs us of. You're working out your good purposes within us. You're shaping and molding our character. You're making us mature. You're preparing for us a eternal glory that far outweighs our trials, which are temporary and fleeting. Oh God, how we praise you this evening for the knowledge that our reward in heaven is the crown of life. Lord, we don't feel that we deserve anything from your hand. And yet in Christ, we receive everything. Righteousness, not our own. Forgiveness, life in its abundance. Life, communion with you forevermore. We're promised a new creation with no sin, no suffering, no death. And so God, we pray that you would grant us a heavenly perspective to live for you in these days with a mind that is fixed on all that is ours in Christ and the life that we've been given. We pray this evening for wisdom, God. Wisdom to be skilled at living life in Christ here, right now. Make us wise. Thank you for being so generous and so willing that when we come asking in faith, you will give. And so, Father, we pray that you would grant us wisdom to live in these days for you. For we ask it all in Christ. Amen.